0: Good morning. We're journeying through this book of Mark together as a church and like I mentioned last week, we couldn't possibly preach on all the passages in this book in the weeks that we have in it together. And so we want you to get the full story with us. We want you to be reading along. Uh, this is the middle of Mark 2, and I hope that last week, if you joined the Mark Challenge, you read the whole chapter. You know the context for this. Um, and if you haven't joined that, there's still time. We'd invite you to join the challenge with us. It's just a chapter week. This coming week, we'll be reading chapter 3, so it's easy to catch up and no pressure to catch up if you don't want to. You can just join in now. Um, But once again, this passage begins once again. Once again, Jesus went out beside the lake. Once again, Jesus retreats to a place of wilderness A pattern which was initiated by the leading of God's Spirit after Jesus' baptism in Mark chapter 1 has now become the rhythm of Jesus' spiritual life. He ministers to people. He forgives sins. He heals diseases. He teaches. And then he retreats to a place of wilderness. But also, once again, a large crowd follows him. And everyone to have compassion on the crowds, Jesus teaches them. As he goes along his way, he sees Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting in the tax collector's booth and says to him, Follow me. And Levi got up and followed him. A word about tax collectors these people were despised. Not in the way that we might joke about the Canada Revenue Agency and grumble about our taxes now and then. No, when a Jew became a tax collector, he became an outcast from society. His shame was extended to his whole family. He was seen as a collaborator with an occupying force, working for the enemy, Every major interpreter of Jewish law at this time agreed, and they didn't agree on many things, but they agreed on this, that it was okay to lie to tax collectors. Jews were completely free to lie to them, to avoid them, to exclude them. They weren't allowed in the synagogue even. So it may be that Jesus' contact with this tax collector is an escalation is more offensive and more worrying than him having touched the leper only the chapter before which we discussed last week a leper after all didn't choose their disease a tax collector a tax collector did but good news even as jesus heals the leper and welcomes him into community jesus heals levi the tax collector not of a physical ailment, but of a moral, even a spiritual one, offering to Levi a new and better choice than working indirectly for Rome, now an opportunity to follow close to the Messiah. Levi makes a new choice. Levi follows Jesus and leaves his tax booth, leaves his shame, is restored. But you may know, you may have wondered already, Levi isn't one of the names of the 12 disciples that we're familiar with. In fact, in the next chapter of Mark, in chapter 3, he lists the 12, and even he does not call one of them Levi, a name that he's just introduced us to. Tradition suggests that this Levi son of Alphaeus may be Matthew, who we know was also a tax collector but this is sort of an unsatisfying answer because it would be strange for a Jewish man to have two Jewish names, Matthew and Levi. Normally, a second name would be a Greek name. So whether or not this tax collector is Matthew seems to be intentionally left vague. For Mark, it is the act of calling which is important, not the name of the one who is called. Mark makes no effort to connect this Levi to the 12. He is just one who Jesus has called and who has obeyed. It's almost as if Mark leaves here a blank and an opportunity for your name to be inserted. As he walked along, Jesus saw you, a student, you, an artist. You, a lawyer, you, a caregiver. Jesus saw you who struggles with addiction, you who struggles with your temper, you who've chosen the easy way or the self-gratifying way one too many times. Jesus saw you, and Jesus saw me. And he said to us, follow me. And Levi got up and followed him. And many of us who have heard this call Have chosen to follow him as well. We, we who were more than sick with illnesses not of our choosing, we who in fact have been caught in the sin that we did choose, the sin of our comfort, the ways of living which we preferred to the ways of bringing life and light into the world, preferred to the ways of revealing God's good kingdom. Yes, even we have been called to follow the one who is life, who is light. We, like Levi, are given the opportunity to follow Jesus and to be healed of those very things which we, and we're pretty sure even our closest friends, if only they knew, hate within ourselves. Jesus sees us in the tax collector's booth sees us in the sins which we have chosen, and he calls that we may follow him. Then Levi and Jesus eat dinner together. And who else is at this dinner except many of Levi's friends, some some of whom are following Jesus already, and others perhaps are interested in following Jesus, sinners and tax collectors, the lot of them. And when the text says sinners, it means wicked people. It doesn't mean people who are trying their best and occasionally breaking the law. These are not just people who slip up from time to time, but people whose very lives are marked by wickedness, whose lives are full of sin. The Mishnah, which is a collection of the oral tradition of Jewish law written down, it records what would have been the laws shared broadly in Jesus' day. And it makes clear who these sinners are. It lists them. It says they were gamblers and they were people who charged extortionate amounts of interest. They're people who organized pigeon races, I guess, as form of gambling, and people who sold the harvest of the Sabbath year. They're thieves. They're violent people. They're shepherds, as we heard on Christmas Eve. And, of course, they're tax collectors. This is the kind of company that Levi has over, and many of these people are following Jesus now. These are the people that Jesus is dining with. And it's actually more than dining. We sort of miss it, but the text actually says he was reclined at this meal. For a normal meal, for just lunch, people would sit at a table, kind of like we do. But for a special meal, for a feast or a festival, people reclined at the table. And we're still... In this context and in this culture, to share a table with somebody was one of the deepest expressions of friendship. And this is where the question of the Pharisees comes in. Eating together is no casual thing. It is intimate. And so they wonder, are these the sorts of people who Jesus chooses to celebrate with? Are these the sorts of people who Jesus calls dear friends. Fortunately for us, they are. It is exactly these sorts of people who are the very ones who Jesus longs to call friend. The Pharisees, they're a sort of sect who've set themselves apart as being particularly law-abiding, not associating with anybody else but other Pharisees out of concern that they might become ritually unclean due to the less careful ways of other people. In some ways, we might see the Pharisees as some in the church still are today. They don't drink or smoke or chew or go with folks who do. More than about reputation, the Pharisees see how the decisions of others around us Impact us, and they don't want any part in it. Indeed, they expect Jesus to be as they are careful, particular, exceptionally law abiding, and eager to stay clear of those who aren't. And Jesus' answer well, it, it needs little explanation. It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Healthcare workers, we know, are not people who don't care at all about disease. They do, and so they are careful not to contract diseases from those whom they treat. But to steer clear of all sick people for fear of becoming sick themselves, they would fail to do their jobs so too a righteous person who steers clear of all but the righteous for fear of becoming unclean or of unwittingly participating in some injustice. They have failed to do the work of God. This is why it's so good that Levi's friends are the ones who he invites to dinner with Jesus, that they are tax collectors and sinners. He desires that they too should be made whole by Jesus. This is why it's so important that we all have friends whose ways of living perhaps we would no longer choose for ourselves, and indeed friends who are not following Jesus. Because if we only associate with people who are like us, then we're missing the point altogether as well. One other remark about Jesus' reply to the Pharisees, he isn't calling them righteous. I think we can read that and think that he's saying, you guys are okay, I'm here for these other people. They're not righteous. If anything, they're self-righteous. They have convinced themselves of their goodness by their meticulous observation of the law. But the law will not save them. Rather, the law serves to testify to them of their need for saving. Because no matter how careful they are, no matter how small their social circle becomes, somehow they'll still trip up. They'll still break the law. They too need a savior. Brothers and sisters, friends, if we think we're good, if we think we're righteous and just then we also have to accept that according to Jesus' response, he didn't come for us. He didn't come to call the good and the just. The good and the just, they have no need for Jesus. But there is no one who is good. There's no one who is good. We must remember ourselves as that sinner who Jesus saw in our wickedness and called out to in love that we should follow him. It is only when we remember ourselves in this way that we will be able to genuinely love those who are still sitting in their tax collector's booth, still living lives of sin which they have chosen, still regarded by others as wicked people with no hope, because we know that we were once as they are. You see, Jesus agrees in principle with these Pharisees. He knows the company he's keeping. He accepts that they're sinners. And because of that truth, he knows that they are that much more in need of his attention. Jesus never excused or condoned sin. In fact, he condemned sin in stronger terms than we hear anybody else talk about it in the Gospels. But Jesus loved people. Jesus still loves people. Jesus has compassion on them and desires to see them reconciled to his father. That reconciliation, it wasn't going to happen if he walked around telling people how awful he thought their behavior was. That reconciliation wasn't going to happen if he joined the crowds who hated and lied to and avoid the tax collectors at all costs. How would Levi have come to leave his booth? Jesus never makes repentance a condition of his love and his acceptance. He loves people first, he shows them incredible grace. He talks to a tax collector before that man's following him. He reclines at table with sinners, celebrating and feasting. He stands between sinners and stones that could soon be their end. And by and through his love, he invites people into new life. His love comes first. This is the way of Jesus. This is the new life which he offers to the world. And it is this new life which is the central point of the next conversation. As the Pharisees seem quick to change the topic. They do this a lot and especially so in Mark's gospel. Fine. He's eating with tax collectors and sinners. But you know what? Why is he eating at all? It's a time of fasting. Shouldn't his disciples fast as well? Jesus' answer to them is more revealing than it may seem to be at first glance. Jesus calls himself the bridegroom. In the Old Testament, in all of the Old Testament, the Messiah is never called the bridegroom. But there's somebody who is the bridegroom it's God. Consistently, God is depicted in the Old Testament as a faithful and loving a husband to Israel, a committed partner, somebody who pursues his beloved at all cost. God is the bridegroom, and Jesus says he is the bridegroom. This puts a new lens on the many interactions that Jesus has already had with these people. Would they ever have suggested that God abandon sinful Israel? By no means. Rather, they would anticipate that faithful and loving pursuit of God. As a loving spouse, God would always seek Israel out, draw Israel back to God's self. So too, it should be no wonder that Jesus will not turn aside from the wicked or the marginalized alike. To understand who Jesus is is to understand that he could not have done so because it goes against the very nature of God himself. With the coming of the bridegroom then is the coming of a new thing. God's home being among God's people was symbolized repeatedly throughout the story of God's people. In the garden, God dwelt with humanity. And when that is fractured, eventually there is the Ark of the Covenant, a symbol of God's presence with Israel at all times. And even after the Ark is lost, the temple is a reminder of God's dwelling among people. People are longing for this return of God, this full dwelling of God. And until then, there are these symbols scattered throughout their religion small tastes of the promised future when God would be among all people. And now here he is. In Jesus, God is present to Israel, present to self-righteous Pharisees and self-sabotaging wicked ones alike. And the new thing has come. God is making his home among God's people. And so, if this is true, if the yearning of the hearts of God's people is being met at last in Christ, then it is no wonder that the former ways should not continue. To fast is to grieve and to long. And what have these disciples to grieve? What are they longing for? They now stand in the very presence of God. All the ways of waiting. All the ways of waiting and longing that had been developed over centuries, orienting our hearts toward that desire which had been developed over thousands of years, they were now woefully out of place because you could recline at table with God. The old wineskin, it had done its job. The old wine had matured in it, and by these things of law and religion in the ache of people's hearts, it had been nurtured so people would long for and love God more deeply, desire that coming of God's kingdom. But now it has come. In Jesus, the kingdom has come near, and there is new wine wine of healing and belonging and inclusion wine that makes all things new with it and the old ways could not contain this new ministry this new reality that we're all invited into all those who follow Jesus have been invited to see and to know this new way of God's kingdom where those who are shunned, even those who we still might say deserve to be shunned, are shown welcome and love, that they might choose this same new way for themselves in Christ. We have been invited by Jesus to follow him and to know his new ways, ways which are still loving the unlovable, associating with the forgotten, drawing in those who are far away. We have known this story in our own lives, know the joy which it brings to our hearts, and this way of joy requires that we go and do likewise, that we should be like Jesus to all those who Jesus would recline at table with to all those who Jesus would notice in their sin and their pain, that we would offer love, grace, and forgiveness, that we would present to them this new way of God's kingdom in our actions, and by Jesus' very invitation, that we would be heralds of his coming kingdom. In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Let's pray together. Jesus, we are grateful that you saw Levi in his tax collector's booth, that you saw him and you loved him and you called him to follow you. In the same way, we are grateful that you saw us in the sin that we've chosen, in the way of life which harmed our families, our communities, harmed ourselves. You saw us and you loved us and you have invited us to follow you as well. We thank you for this new way of your kingdom that is lavish in love, lavish in celebration, lavish in forgiveness, the desires that all would be made whole, that wicked people and tax collectors alike would be your friends. Help us, we pray, to be friend to the ones who you are friend to, To love the ones who you love. To not try to make ourselves some holy huddle in the church. But to go and to see where you are still reclining at table. Where you are still ministering to the least and the lost. Cause us to be your hands and your feet. Make us new wineskins for your new wine in the world. We pray this all in your name and for your kingdom's sake. Amen. We have a few reflection questions for you to pray about, to journal about, to write down for later conversation, or to even begin discussing if you're joining us from home. The first question is what tax booth, what chosen way of sin is Jesus inviting you to turn away from as you follow him? The second is how are you befriending the ones who Jesus loves and desires to save? And a third, an invitation to pray for a kingdom imagination in your life and in our church that we might be able to see the new ways we are being called to live as Jesus lived for the sake of his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. So we'll give you a couple of minutes to pray and to reflect on these things.